when I'm teaching, when I'm teaching other coaches, I don't want them to learn from my success. It's more important that they learn from my failure. When you find yourself in a hole, the most important thing you have to do is stop digging. She looked at me and said, you know, Tony, you can't want it more than they do. If I want a kid to be tolerant of failure, I have to be tolerant of failure. Welcome to the Gymnastics Growth Show. My name is Nick Roddick, a performance gymnastics coach providing world-class education, events, and consultancy services to the international gymnastics and professional sports community. This podcast is dedicated to optimizing athlete and coach performance from grassroots to gold standard. Stay tuned to discover tactics and strategies designed to transform results for you and your athletes. Welcome to episode six of the Gymnastics Growth Show with USA coach, Tony Retrosi. I recently connected with Tony for the first time on a week-long visit to Boston, where we met for breakfast to talk gymnastics and share experiences. We actually recorded this podcast at a national team training camp in Germany as Tony was visiting Europe for some consulting. Tony Retrosi is the owner of Atlantic Gymnastics Training Centers. In 2010, he was celebrated as Educator of the Year by USA Gymnastics. Tony is a popular lecturer at state, regional, and national congresses in the USA and has been a guest clinician in North America, the Caribbean, Europe, and Australia. He's also the owner of Gym Momentum, an online educational resource for gymnastics coaches. I was drawn to Tony for his enormous experience, perspective, and philosophies, and I'm so glad we managed to record this great podcast where he shares a lot of wisdom and valuable lessons for coaches at all levels. In this episode, we learn why Tony empowers his staff and athletes to make decisions, why learning from failure can be more important than learning from success, the importance of being accountable for decisions, how athletes can develop learned behaviours from modelling the actions of their coaches and stacks more. Here it is. So, here with Mr. Tony Retrosi. Well, it's really good to be here. Very good to see you again. Uh, yeah. It wasn't long ago, probably about a few weeks ago now that I was yeah. with you in Boston. It was a good day. We had a good breakfast. We had a very good <laughs> breakfast. Um, you know, you said that I eat like a 12-year-old, didn't you? The... I actually said you eat like my son. Like son. <laughs> he was 12 or was no, he? Was at one point, yeah. <laughs> I, I had a, a nice omelette, good healthy food. He had cheesecake French toast. <sighs> hey, look, when you're in America, you've got to do these things. Yeah. So, uh, look, we won't talk too much about that. We've got a lot of good discussion to have. But, uh, no, it's, it's great that you're here. We're obviously recording this in Frankfurt in Germany. Um, I'm here for the National Training Camp with the juniors. I was here last week with the seniors. And, uh, of course, you're here with a mutual friend of ours, yeah, Chris, Chris. Chris Leitman. And it's, and it's good to have you pop into the camp for a couple of days as well. And do a bit of work with, with I guess, with Chris's girls as well. And, and it was I was in the UK. I was doing a course in the UK in Sutton Village, and I have to do a course tomorrow at another gym here in Germany. I had some time in between, yeah. and so it's kind of very convenient that I get to work with a bunch of different kids. And it all just worked out, didn't it? So, yeah, yeah, no, no, very cool. Gymnastics has a way of doing that. It does, yeah, absolutely. So uh, look. We, I really got a lot out of our time together when we met and, and had breakfast in Boston. It was the first yeah. time that we'd met. Uh, we'd only spoken online before that, but we've got a lot of kind of mutual uh, values, I think. And, and I was just really inspired by your philosophies, which is why I threw out the idea of, look, why don't we do a podcast when yeah. you're here in Germany? 
I've got a bunch of questions here and I know you've got a lot of value to add, but let's just start with talking about your philosophy as a coach because you've got a stack of experience. And well, Having you know. a stack of experience just makes you old. <laughs> okay. And I, I think I've learned something from every single coach I've ever been with. And sometimes it's how not to do something. Yeah. When I'm teaching, when I'm teaching other coaches, I don't want them to learn from my success. It's more important that they learn from my failure. And everybody's going to make mistakes. And that is the philosophy that I bring into the gym. I ask them, are you going to fall learning this element? And of course, they're like, well, yeah. I said, of course you're going to fall. That's why we buy all these mats. We've created this system for you to fail safely. The whole idea of my philosophy is that we're going to fail. We're going to learn from that and move on. I start with some mechanical, just truths and some things. Everybody must start at this place. Mm-hmm. But then you get to a different place and you and I are shaped completely differently. How I would do a skill and how you are going to do a skill. It may come off the floor at the same angle, but after that, it's going to be different. Yeah. And I work with a variety of athletes, different shapes and sizes. I have to let them know that if I give them a correction, I expect them to mess up on something else and we just have to eventually put it together. That's my philosophy in the gym. That's my philosophy in business. As a business person, I'm much harder on myself than I am on my staff. If I see uh, one of my staff people and they're going down the wrong path, I might try to encourage them a little bit to go on the right path, but they need to learn from their mistake as well. That's that's a, a little bigger lesson. Everybody's going to skin their knee. I don't want any fatal injuries, uh-huh. but we're going to skin our knees, and that's really okay. I'm pretty relentless on myself when I make a mistake, and I actually learned from my good friend Wendy Bruce. She was giving a lecture on how to coach the perfectionist, and as I'm writing notes on how to coach a perfectionist, I realized I was writing a note to myself and how to deal with myself, and helping other people handle their failures has helped me accept my own, whether it's a marketing failure in the gym, whether I've gone down the wrong path a little ways. Uh, So it's helped me do that. And then I came across this saying, and it's when you find yourself in a hole, the most important thing you have to do is stop digging. And that's the mistake people make. We get stoneheaded and we just keep barreling down. And instead of working smart, we're just going to work harder and harder and harder. And you realize you've dug yourself a huge hole that you can't get out of. And that's what leads me in the gym. Absolutely. Um, there's, there's so much good stuff there and good value. Let's just come back to the bit about um, you with your coaches to start with. I think that's a really interesting perspective. You're basically talking from a very very much at a leadership level, that you're happy for your staff to be empowered to make their own mistakes. Do you have a process for them to, apart from you going over and maybe trying to guide them, is there like a reflective process in there that you put in there? Is it kind of down to them to figure that journey out? We, we talk a lot. Yeah. So I love my coaches. So we, we see each other a lot. We go out often. Yeah. We have dinners together. And, and so we don't need to have a formal process because uh-huh. it comes up during dinner. It's very organic. Yeah. And... And I, I hope they're not listening. I, I lead the conversation uh-huh. and I would say, you know, when I had a gymnast like Emma, do you remember her? Oh, I had to sort of do this with her 
because that other way didn't work. Mm. Because if I take my coach and I become a dictator and say, this is how you're going to do it, I, I've taken any power they have. And I feel I want my coaches to be creative because if that's how I did it, that doesn't mean it's right. Yeah. They may have a better process. They're certainly a lot younger than me and a lot more energetic where I may have a plan that really doesn't involve any hand spotting. They might have a really good plan that does involve hand spotting. And I go, that was really good. Yeah. I, I like that. I learned from that. I don't want to take any power from them. I just sometimes need to guide the ship. Yeah, yeah, no, that's really interesting. So, look, this is a, this is a great philosophy. Of course, it's one that's clearly worked and is working for you. But I would imagine that it's evolved over time. So, oh, absolutely. How has that changed? I mean, what kind of lessons have you had to learn along the way, which has helped you to to bring this all together to where it is now? So, about seven years ago, I needed to have hip surgery, and I wasn't sure how I was going to recover from my hip surgery, whether or not I was going to be back in the gym. And it coincided with a bunch of my younger coaches really being ready to jump to the next level. Instead of bringing the athletes to one level and then I guide the athletes the rest of the way, I needed to let these coaches grow. And the first couple days that I was watching practice, I was going crazy. Oh, really? yeah. I, I, I wanted to jump. I wanted to say stuff. And I... And, I had to say, I have to let them do it themselves. That was the hardest thing. Mm. When I go into the gym, do I still want to jump in and say that? Yes, but really they've, they've done a lot and they, they know that I have their back. Mm. If I see something that's really down the wrong path, I, I can be a jerk and say, you need to stop. You cannot try a Jaeger unless she has a good whip tap on her front giant. Just don't. Don't waste your time. And I kind of get pissy yeah. about that. Yeah. And then they might push back, but I also have the experience to know that that's the right way. Yeah. And when every once in a while, and they'll say, well, I had so-and-so do it this way. I said, that's one. I've had 12 kids, and they all had to learn it a different way, mm. but they still all started with this. Yeah. Get to here. And then try your own stuff. So that's the hardest part was to not talk. Yeah. But I had to empower them. In America, if I didn't empower them, they were going to leave and head down to the gym down the road. Yeah. And that's, that's my reality. Because if it were me, I would have done the same you thing. You did the same thing. I, I would have absolutely done the same thing. Mm. When I opened up my club, the owners of the gym I was working at were getting divorced. Okay. And so that I just wasn't sure where that gym was going to wind up. And I was able to open up my club that year. So I, I didn't ever have to leave. But the owner of that gym, the male owner of that gym, at one point said, Tony, you've got this. You're better than what I am. And he really never came into the gym again. Mm. So he gave me, he empowered me. I need to empower the people around me. It keeps them motivated. Nobody wants to be just pushed under somebody's thumb. Yeah. every day this it's no longer my program i own the gym yeah sounds like you're in, you're in more of a mentoring role now with the staff as opposed yeah. to yeah you know and that's it's just evolved into that because i can't take a group because i'm here and i'm yeah, there yeah. i'm everywhere else it wouldn't be fair for me to take a group of kids because i would never see them yeah yeah and not coaching and being a mentor being in a leadership role has also made my allowed me to focus on my business uh -huh. and make 
more rational decisions. Mm. Yeah. And that's always a good thing. <laughs> always a good thing, of course. Yeah. We've got to be a strategist and a yeah. visionary. So uh, is your approach to working with athletes quite similar in terms of empowerment as well? Or is it Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I was speaking to some coaches the other day at KRK when we set up, and I just use our beam circuit as an example. The first beam is a full routine. The second beam is a problem part from their routine. The third beam is whatever they want. Yeah, okay. And I will encourage and guide, you know, well, what should I do? Well, you might want to do a couple, couple turns, a couple pirouettes, but then work what you want. Because my vision for them, my goal for them might not be what they see. Mm. And if we're not on the same page, then we're nowhere. So I have to let them lead. Yeah. And there are kids who need more instruction and there are kids who need less. There are kids who will get up there and I will say, that's enough turns. And there are some that I'll say, you probably need to work a little harder. Yeah. But that third station is theirs to do. And then the fourth station is back to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's how we do it. On bars, I do the same thing. They come over. The first turn with me is a full routine because I feel... Our current routine needs to sort of be our warm-up. It cannot be the goal of a 45-minute workout. This has to be the first part. Yeah. They hit their routine with me. They can go over the pit and work goals. So now I encourage them to want to be first because if they're first up to do their routine, they get a longer time on goals. Mm-hmm. And I'm watching their goals. And as they're over there, I have a kid who I'm thinking full-out dismount. And she starts playing with a double layout. Well, in the end, what do I care? If she's figuring out the double layout, I'm like, all right, let's do this. And I have to empower the athletes. Obviously, that doesn't work when they're under 11. Up until that point, you need to be more of a guide. After that, I use the analogy, uh, a thoroughbred racehorse always travels with a companion animal. Something to keep it calm uh-huh. and in the right direction. In the U.S., thoroughbred racehorses, they travel with donkeys. Okay. Oh, I'm the donkey. <laughs> you know, my, my job is to just keep this talented athlete directed. Yeah. Not to whip it. Okay. You don't have to do that. They'll lead you. And is this, you mentioned before about you want people to learn from your failures and not just your successes or not solely your successes. So again, is this, this is a, was it a revelation one day that you figured this out or? I'll give two shout outs. It was uh, Corey Cunningham, who's been my gym wife, my co-coach since the year or two years before I opened my gym. She and I have been coaching together 25 or 26 years. And I had a group of very talented athletes And I was tearing my hair out over them. And she looked at me and said, you know, Tony, you can't want it more than they do. Right. And that was, you know, I know looking back, you're like, duh. Yeah. But at that time, that was, I can't. My job, I I cannot push them. But if I lead the way and they follow, that was an overnight change. Because I was going home. I, I was going home very angry, very frustrated. And her quick comment on that. The very first group of high-level athletes that I had, um, Shannon Bowles, Kelly Lovejoy, Lexa Evans, I honestly don't know how they survived. I was a young, strong-headed coach. We just worked hard, harder. 
if I knew that your gym was doing three routines a day, I was going to do five routines a day. Mm. If you were doing five tumbling passes, I was going to do 10 tumbling passes. That's what I thought it needed. Thankfully, God gave them a body that didn't break down. And my next group of kids that I had were more averagely talented, but they worked really hard. Mm -hmm. So I learned from that and I learned to be more of a technician at that point and be smarter so their bodies didn't break down. And probably by the time I had that third group that I really, things started to come. And that's, maybe I'm a slow learner, but to say it took me 10 years to really solidify in my brain, yeah. that, that it, it did. Because I feel the head coach's philosophy, the owner of the gym's philosophy, that's going to run a program. I've heard too many coaches complain about their athletes. They don't work hard. The kids don't work hard. They're lazy. They're always late. And I look at the coaches very often, and the coaches are sitting down in the gym. Mm. They're coming in late. The coaches don't get along with each other. I think with kids, very much it's a learned behavior. Yes, I would agree with that. If I want a kid to be tolerant of failure, I have to be tolerant of failure. If I want a kid to be a good teammate to her teammates, mm. she needs to see me go, oh, Nick, let me help you with that map. You know, let me do it for two turns and then you guys can have it back at Bean. They need to see that we're, that we're teammates. Yeah. If I want her to respect competitors, because at any given day, at any given competition, there are kids better than you. That's just That's how it goes. Yeah. And if I don't want her to make an excuse, well, she did better because the judges like her leotard better. She did better because the, the beam was hard. Well, she went on the same beam as you. Yeah. Buy a different color leotard. It's not going to make a difference. She happened to be better than you today. So just being, being accountable, isn't it? Yeah. I, well, I wrote uh, that article uh, last week. Uh, don't fix the blame, fix the problem. Yeah. And very often the problem is here. Mm. Unless we're looking at the Sydney Olympics, the problem is usually not the vault the table. Vault yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the problem yeah. is probably the run-up. Yeah. And so you, you have to fix the problem, not the blame. Yeah. Everybody needs to be accountable. I only have five rules in my gym and people who know me are probably laughing because they already know these five rules. And these five rules go for all of my staff and okay. all of the gymnasts. The first rule is be on time and I consider being on time 15 minutes early. Yeah. Okay. No sitting down in the gym. No cell phones in the gym. And I know in this day and age that's hard but you have to be engaged with the athletes you're working in. Yeah. The fourth one is difficult. Don't come to me with a problem without a potential solution. Okay. If you come to me with a problem, you're just whining. Yeah. And I can't fix that. And it doesn't matter if it's a staff member who says I can't work Tuesdays or if it's a gymnast who says my ankle hurts. All they've done is taken their problem and put it on me. Mm -hmm. My gymnast can say, you know, I rolled my ankle in the parking lot on the way in. I'm not going to be able to make it through my floor routine. Can I do my routine on tumble track? Well, at least they've given thought to the solution of this problem. It may not work. It may be, we have a competition. Mm -hmm. If you can't do it today, it's out. But at least they've been part of the solution. Yeah. And the last one is everyone leaves with a smile. And I want every gymnast and every coach to be positive through the end of practice. You may get in your car and can't wait to get home and have a beer. 
You may get in the car and crank up the music and cry all the way home. But within the facility, you got to fake it till you make it. Mm -hmm. Because if I have that scowl, if I have that dark attitude, it affects every single person in the gym. And if I'm not picking on anybody's name in particular, if, if, if Susie has that dark attitude, yeah. that doesn't just affect her, that affects everybody. everybody. But they have to learn that from me. We'll be back to the podcast in just a few moments, but I'd like to take this opportunity to let you know that tickets to my annual flagship coach education event, GymCon, are now on sale at gymcon.co.uk. Coaches from all over the world flock to GymCon for strategies and tactics that are sure to help their athletes rise up the ranks and improve performance. With stacks of resources, exhibitors, networking opportunities, and the world-class speakers, Niall Wilson, Valerie Condosfield, Dr. Dave Tilly and myself on stage, it's set to be another world-class event that you won't want to miss. GymCon is taking place June 24th in Solihull, United Kingdom, just minutes from Birmingham International Airport. To find out more information or secure your tickets at Europe's leading gymnastics education event, visit gymcon.co.uk. Now, back to the content. So those are my five rules. Yeah, and they're solid rules. Oh, they're solid rules. It's, It's pretty easy. Do you echo these like on a weekly basis? Like, would you always be enforcing and reminding? Or sometimes I'll just go rule number three. Okay, yeah. So, so you know, everyone everyone knows what they are. Yeah, I'll, I'll look across the gym and I'll see one of my coaches videoing. Yeah. With their phone, I understand the purpose of that, but I've bought an iPad. Okay. Because if you're using an iPad, there are more people involved. Yeah. If you're using the phone, a parent that's 125 feet away. They don't know if you're what you're doing. Yeah. So uh, I'll look over and I kind of give the look, kind of raise my eyebrow. Everybody knows when well, my eyebrows makes, go up. Yeah. And they're like, the iPad was over there. I just needed to get this one. And I, I'm a human being. Uh-huh. You know, I've had all of my coaches have families and children. And they're like, I need to bring my phone in. My 12 my year old is at home. He's not feeling well. He's going, no problem at all. I'm waiting for a call from my doctor. I get it, but let's not get in the habit of using technology Mm. and not using the things that are around you. You have to be engaged. I'm going to go off on a tangent on technology for a second because it just reminded me of something. Somebody said, well, I'm not really good at technology, so I don't use my cell phone. I don't use a computer. I heard somebody say that. And in the gym, I hear people say the same thing. Well, I don't need technology. And then I heard a coach say, well, we don't need to front tumble. Well, what they were is they weren't good at teaching front tumbling. Mm. So instead of going back and fixing this weak spot that they had, let me go back and learn a program to be a better front tumbler. Instead of doing that, they made the excuse to themselves, Mm -hmm. I don't need front tumbling. And you, you can't do that. Because we're always less, well, other than one time a quadrennium, we're always less than four years away from a rule change. Uh-huh. And that rule change could have a disastrous effect. And we've all seen it. We've all seen a gymnast as a junior who never was able to put it together as a senior because that rule changed. And now they didn't have the difficulty off of being dismount. Yeah. And because, oh, we don't need to do flick, flick, double tuck. We can just do a punch double front and then you devalue it. And now you have a kid that's great on two and a half events. Mm. And uh, you know what I've seen that from working with the various national teams is they've got a lot, they've had a lot of strong backwards tumblers, yeah. but they're struggling to put a routine together with yeah. a competitive forward tumble because right. of the rule change as well. So, so there's a, a real life example there as well. Yeah. So you just, yeah. 
as a coach, if you find a weak spot in your program, I don't teach handspring fronts especially well. I, I don't teach front entry vaults especially well. That's just, I, I, I did a front entry vault. Maybe it's because the vault was fairly simple for me as an athlete that I just don't have the, the station. But I have other coaches in my gym who do that very well. Mm-hmm. So we complement each other. If you can't do it yourself, hire somebody that can. Yeah. It's not rocket science. <laughs> and so, but it's not rocket science. For someone like yourself, you mean, you've, you've got a lot of experience. Um, you've said you've made a lot of mistakes, but you've got a really good leadership hat on. You know, you're talking about empowering staff, uh, using people for their strengths, uh, being flexible. I mean, just those three points alone. It's not a lot of coaches that have those three qualities, you know. I think a lot of people will get it in time. Yes. Because I certainly didn't have it in that first eight to ten years. I went in and I thought I was the best bar coach in the country because I had some kids that were great on bars. And then I realized it had nothing to do with me. It had to do with these kids were gifted athletes, were gifted swingers. I taught kids blind changes in one turn. Mm. I had to do a giant turn and they did it. So I figured, oh, that's what you must do. Great (laughs) coaching. And honestly, that's my problem with people with YouTube drills these days. Somebody taught it one time and thinks that this is the only way to teach it, and they put it out there, they don't realize that that's detrimental not only to themselves. If I can find five ways to teach one skill, let's just take the flyaway off bars, Mm -hmm. you know, just a very basic but necessary skill. If I have five ways to teach that skill, I may only normally only use two of them, but I have three, four, and five in my bag of tricks yeah. if I need to bring it up because there's some kid that's going to need to do the flyaway that doesn't get it. And if I learn something from you or from Chris or uh, from Claudia in the gym and I'm able to add a sixth way, I'm a better coach. Yeah. And I always footnote my drills mm-hmm. in the gym because I don't want the kids to think I have every answer. I don't need a God complex. I want the, I'm like, oh, I learned this from Chris. Yeah. I learned this from Nick. I'm like, oh, that's great. Yeah. And you know, I, I want them to know that I'm trying to better myself every day. So they see, if they see that I'm trying to better myself, they're going to work hard. I think kids in general don't want to let the adult down. Mm-hmm. But if they see that I keep raising the bar on myself, then we continue to raise the bar together. Awesome. I've got a, a tough question for you here. Sure. What is some of the greatest coaching that you've seen? Whew. Should have asked that in advance. Really. No, I'm, I'm trying to think of the greatest coaching I've seen. Um, Mary Lee did a great job. I, I cannot remember this kid's name. She was from Massachusetts originally and, and ended up in going to Georgia. And I'm sorry, I can't remember her name. But this kid had definite body alignment issues. Mm-hmm. She was not going to be that perfect nostril long body. Yeah. But Mary Lee was able to work and work and, and, and fix all these little parts around it and brought out the best in this athlete and hide those weak spots. That is a true coach, somebody that can do that. I spoke to Mary Lee and we've obviously uh, just recorded a podcast. Yeah. It's episode number two, I believe. 
with Mary Lee and she talks about, and I'm going to ask you the same question in a second, so you've got a bit of a moment got to prepare. Got a second, write this yeah. down. <laughs> the, the question was, um, what are some of your greatest accomplishments, you know? And she mentioned that it was the time where she'd taken the underdogs. She'd take the, the ones that a lot of coaches turn their nose up mm-hmm. and say, she's not going to be a somebody. And Mary Lee was able to turn that around and actually take that athlete all the way up to, you know, international success. Yeah. Those are the moments that Mary Lee really valued as being successful for her. And I, I think that's the same question. I, I, I think that's easy. Chris and I were talking in the car right here and if you enter a a ferrari into a race you're going to do pretty well because it's a ferrari yeah if you enter a ford into that race you got to do a lot of work to Mm -hmm. make it competitive yeah and so i like that ford Mm. i like that got the challenge yeah um it's the challenge i've always enjoyed the chess match of coaching Mm -hmm. the short and long-term plan i've always admired the gritty gymnasts I feel the kids who gymnastics comes easy for, sometimes they fail at the top level yeah. because they've never, they haven't experienced enough failure to be comfortable with it. Becca Jackson, Lucy Vance, a couple of kids who I coached, they were above average talent, but really competed above their weight class mm-hmm. just because they were good kids, they worked hard, we laughed every day yeah, yeah. and usually had something stupid that I did or said and they kind of enjoyed it when I tripped um, or walked into the low bar, which I did often. <laughs> but they they just were hard workers and they had that grit. And I've seen those kids take diggers, like, like crash on the floor and just roll over and laugh mm. and get up and dust themselves off and go again. A lesser athlete yeah. emotionally... Uh-huh. They'd be done. Their practice would be done. But you've had to. You fostered that culture, though, didn't you? As well, you you must have facilitated that environment in terms of allowing them to fail, allowing them to see the the funny side of things. Am I right? Because that's, that's I, not I think it was. A, I organic. think I learned a little bit from them okay, and, yeah. and and passed on a little bit. Yeah. I've taken lower level groups after I came back from my surgery. I went and took over the, the lowest level group in my gym. Mm because I was like, everybody else is doing fine. Let me just play with these guys. Let me, we're just gonna have fun. Yeah. And I took them and they were are in the US, level threes. So mm-hmm. we're just learning all kinds of gymnastics. <laughs> and now these kids are level sevens and eights and they're goofy and funny, but they're still in the gym. Mm-hmm. And out of that group of, there's probably 16 of them. I say 12 of them are still doing gymnastics five years later. And they're enjoying it. Yeah. And there's not there's not a lot of athletic talent in that group. Yeah. But they were just they, they just got it. And I let gymnastics be fun and challenging. They show up, that's the important thing. We had a we had a saying on the end of the vault runway and it was posted and it said you're either a lion or a gazelle. Either way, you better wake up hungry and fast. And that was it. So they knew yeah. that they had to be fast and they had to be hungry to learn. And they laughed. And I, I would say when they would come down on a vault and it wasn't fast, I'd say, oh, somebody just ate you. You're lunch. You're, <laughs> yeah. you're somebody's lunch today. Yeah. And I actually took a picture coming through the airport in Manchester on the way here. There's a pub and I think it's Lion and Gazelle oh, really? that, that <laughs> was there. And I took a photo of it. And I'm like, I can't wait to get back to the gym. I'm like, hey, girls, look. Like, 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 like. Brilliant. Yeah. 
What are some of the mistakes that you think, sort of, uh, or the common mistakes that you see? I'm not going to necessarily say new coaches are making, but that's no, okay. We can, you know, it, I mean, it's there's a lot of coaches that have got all the right intentions. They're they're hungry. They really want to succeed. They're passionate. They tick all those boxes, but they don't they don't get far. Uh, you have to know your athlete, mm-hmm. and you have to pick the right skill for the athlete. Uh, my friend Rob Murray. He is a planner at a different level. Yeah. And he'll look at a kid and, you know, kind of watching her in her first couple of years. And he'll know, this is the vault this kid's going to do. This is the bar routine this kid's going to do. And he'll have that planned out. And he's at a different level than me. So if I can take part of that and pick the right skill. A great example is there was this athlete who was very, very, very timid back tumbling, mm. very timid back tumbling, just was afraid of her own power. And the coach was trying to teach her Yurchenko. You know, let's make sure if you have this kid that's timid backwards, but it is going all out forwards, how about go forward vault? Yes. You know, she was not, she didn't need the Yurchenko double fall. This kid was probably going to be the pike, pike half. Mm-hmm. And it's a solid vault. You know, it's not going to get you a medal at the Olympics, mm. but it might get you there in, yeah. uh, in some countries. You have to know the, the, the athlete. What are they good at? So that conversation with them, the, the asking the kid, can you see yourself doing this? Can you see yourself doing an Arabian double or can you see yourself doing a full end? And the kid's like, oh, I can't see myself landing forwards. All right. We're not going to take time doing that. Yeah. Another coach, a less experienced coach, I think they are going, we're going to go, here's my plan. We're going to go double, you know, double pike, open double tuck, double layout, this. And they just have this, boom, this generic plan that everyone must follow. And they're going to lose kids in the shuffle. Mm-hmm. That's probably the biggest mistake I see coaches making. The other mistake is that they plan their program around what the current code of points is. And I, I see boys are doing that a lot right now, which is a little disappointing, and that you see them, everybody tumbling a lot from a round off. And they're like, well, we really don't need a backhand spring. We're doing round off two and a half. Well, until you do need a backhand spring, because now this kid needs to you know, round off, flip-flop, double-double. Yeah. And they can't do four or five backhand springs across the floor with any rhythm. Mm-hmm. So you, you have to build that base. You can't play for the code yeah. until when they're 16. When a girl is 15 or 16, yeah, that's different. But I'm talking in those developmental stages, you need to build that, that, that big base. It may not be a skill that they need today, mm-hmm. but chances are they're going to need it in four years. Keep the, keep the doors open for yeah. as long as you can. Uh, never, never paint yourself into a corner. Yeah, I've made those mistakes. Mm. I had an athlete, she was not great at a bar dismount. She had a full difficulty bar routine, not great at a bar dismount. And we just didn't have our bases covered. And it was somebody who definitely underperformed because of my lack of taking the time. I taught her a double front. She got a little bigger and now all of a sudden was sitting down the double front. Now I had a really good bar routine without a way to finish it. And I learned from that. I'm like, okay, we're going to have, we have to have a plan and a backup plan. Planning in general, your plan is going to work 80% of the time with 70 to 80% of the kits. Mm -hmm. So that still is going to leave 35, 40% that's a crapshoot. But if you have a plan, it's much easier to adjust than going in every day trying to reinvent the wheel. And being rigid. 
yeah, kids aren't rigid. What I teach to Emma today, tomorrow she's gained mass and grown two centimeters. Mm -hmm. That happens. Yeah. And she's like, this feels really different today. Right. You look taller today. This is different. Yeah. You know, every day is going to be different. And if you come in with this rigid plan, you you have to have a plan. But, jeez. You've got to be flexible with it. You've got to evolve on a daily basis. Yeah. And, and I, I would say going back, that was mm. probably my weak spot. Okay. You know, initially, is I had a plan. I was really confident with my plan. We did this, and I was successful with this plan. But when I let that plan become a little bit more flexible, I was successful with more. Mm. You know, I had a plan for a kid who was going to be able to compete internationally. I had a plan for a kid who might only make it to level nine in the U.S. Yeah. That's really okay. I love both those kids. I hope they both invite me to their weddings. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that's, that's how I know I did a good job. Next week, I have a wedding for one of my gymnasts, and she invited me to it. I can't wait. I mean, this is somebody who I had, we fought, mm. you know, we hugged. It was great. But she's getting married and she wants me to be there. I know I did a good job. That is cool. So yeah. that's like a, a mark of your success as a coach, isn't it? You've had an impact yeah. positively on that person. I, I hope so. Yeah. Well, you, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, you would it's, be invited it, to the right. wedding. It's she, quite, a, quite a private moment, isn't yeah, it? So, yeah, it, it, it's pretty great. Very, very cool. Just finally, yeah. final question, and there's been a, a ton of value in this, so I really appreciate your Thank time. You. It's been good to, to dig into these philosophies. What does it mean to you to be a great coach? Just extending that, I mean, you just used one great example there. Oh, I think that means I'm a great, that I'm a good person. I okay. I'm a great person yeah. because the person who had the most lasting impact on me was my eighth grade math teacher. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I, I'm not going to invite her to my wedding. Mm. She made me work. She pushed me. She made me a good, you know, yeah. but I, I'm not going to like, but to be a great coach, it's to take that Ford or that Hyundai and get them up here. You know, it, it, it's not what you do with the most talented kid. It's what you do with that next group of kids yeah. that you get them to believe. I'm not the best technician. I'm not the best planner. I'm a nice guy, but I'm probably not serious enough for most coaches. I can't, I'm, I'm pretty goofy. I think what I do better than most people is I get kids to believe in themselves. Yeah. If I can get them to believe that they can do it, then of course they can. And I think that's what makes, if there was something I was better at than most, mm -hmm. I'm a really good cook, too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's the Italian in it's you. The, it, it's the Italian in Absolutely. me. It is. Tony, this has been a, a great podcast episode, so thank you for your time. Well, thanks so much. I appreciate it, no problem, and I look forward to spending some more time with you in the gym later. It's all good, yeah. So thank, thank you very much. much. Thank you. Cool. Thanks for listening to the Gymnastics Growth Show. If you've enjoyed this episode, please head on over to iTunes or your chosen podcast player, subscribe, leave a review, and share the show with your network. See you next time.